Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. It was a little harder than usual to hit publish on today's episode. I'm going to get real and vulnerable and honest and authentic while my dear friend, Anne interviews me. I'm Robin Goebel, and this is the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate it for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a postgraduate certificate program. This is episode 19, where we flip things on their head and I bring on a guest to interview me. If you've followed this podcast since the beginning, you know that it's been through some changes, even in just 19 short episodes. I started the podcast as audios from Facebook Lives, but actually I've discovered I enjoy created, uh, creating audio podcasts in my studio much more than being on Facebook Lives. Something about being in my PJs or my workout clothes with a ponytail like today and not really having to straighten up my office to be on camera really works for me. My intention remains the same, to get free, accessible support to you as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy, and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll hear a cock doodle doo in the background. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends and colleagues. Before we dive in today, I want to make sure you know that as of the day this episode goes live, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain, which is a comprehensive, fully online and self-paced course for parents of kids impacted by trauma, is once again open for registration. And if you register in the next two days until February 25th, 2021, you get access to some pretty awesome bonuses valued at over $60. I'll tell you a bit more about the course at the end of this podcast episode, but you can read all of the details and register over at robingobel.com backslash parent course. I wanted to record a podcast episode that would help you feel a little more connected to me, the real me, not just podcasting me, parenting after trauma me, neurobiology me. The way connection works, I knew if you had the opportunity to feel more connected to me, I'd feel more connected to you. And then things just keep getting better because everything does when we feel more connected. You met my friend Anne in episode five of this podcast. Anne's an author and a writing coach. She was my writing coach, but now we're just friends. 
and is also an adoptee and offers coaching and other kinds of connected spaces and experiences for adoptees. After we stopped recording, we stared at each other for a moment and reflected on what felt best about the interview and what felt most vulnerable. I was surprised that what felt most vulnerable to me was that I was honest about some of the pieces of goodness in my life. And I worried that wouldn't be completely welcomed by our, my listeners who are families who are really struggling. Anne acknowledged that she struggles with some similar feelings in her work with adopted people. And then we laughed and cried a bit because the truth is that Anne is one of the few people who knows a lot of the details about how very, very hard the past nine months have been for me and my family. Pandemic aside, my family and I have been through and are really still going through a lot of really significant challenges. This awareness stopped me short to realize I could feel like things are so good in my life while simultaneously going through one of the hardest seasons of the past 10 years. I mean, I think that's the part that's worth sharing with you. The things can be hard and okay, that sometimes we have absolutely no power to change the things that are hard, the chaos that's around us. We just Sometimes you just literally can't escape it. We live there. We have to take care of these people. But it is possible to get to a place in your life where the both and really, truly exists. Things are really good and really, really hard. Things are really hard and good. Ann and I agreed that we hope that that's what we offer to the world, to you, to our people. Hope and belief that that's possible. We hopped on this interview with absolutely no script and no real goal. So what you hear is raw, authentic, and a little meandering at times. I tried to edit some of the meandering out, but some I decided that you're just invited on that part of our journey too. Stick with us till the end where we talk about felt safety, how structure and boundaries allow us for true self-expression and how I try to live my life with curiosity guiding my path. Hey, so I'm here today with Robin because I took over the ship because I wanted to be the one to ask her questions instead of She's always asking me really perceptive questions, but I want to know a little bit about her. Yeah. This because, is you know, what, what, well, yeah. And what you posted yesterday about, um, I have to pull it up, but you post, well, actually I'll get to that later. Um, you post these things and then I want to ask you all these questions. Like, how do you, how did you know this? Oh like, yeah. Wait, wait, when you posted about when your child is dysregulated, have more order in your life, more structure. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wanted yes. you to come and take over my life. <laughs> how, do you, how do you, is your life structured? No, no, it's funny because um, I'm really open with this stuff too. It's like, you know, sometimes the people who are, you know, the best at sort of setting up things for other people. <laughs> are not the greatest in setting it up for themselves. 
Um, but I can remember telling my son's pediatrician when he was really, really small, like a toddler, a young toddler, that I was so grateful that it seemed like he had a pretty flexible kind of disposition and didn't really need a ton of structure because it doesn't come naturally to me. And I, and I definitely think that if he needed it, I would have figured out a way to rise to the occasion and give him that structure. But my husband and I are not very structured people. We're not very, we don't live a very structured life. Um, and we're just really lucky that that happens to work for everybody that lives in my family. If it didn't, we would um, have to make some adjustments. Did you have structure growing up? Oh, good question. You know, I, I think I'm going to say yes, but then that makes me also think about, you know, we probably have a lot more structure in my life and in my little family than what I even think about as far as Mm -hmm. we have a pretty regular day and a pretty regular routine and, um, always, you know, our after school time looks pretty similar. We always have dinner together as a family, like Monday nights are, um, orchestra nights and Tuesday nights are takeout night and Wednesday nights are, you know, what do you mean? Area class night. Wait, what do you mean? Orchestra night? Oh, that my son's in the youth orchestra and they're not meeting in like real life right now, like the, the, um, city, the city youth orchestra, but that, yeah. So we do have these structure. We do have some structure to our life. I guess if I kind of stepped back and looked, looked at it and that was definitely true. when I was a kid as well, you know, that there was, um, a lot of just structure predictability built in. I don't, I don't think I had a unstructured childhood. Mm-mm. When you're during COVID, when you sit down with your family, what do you talk about since like, it's, I, I just, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny question because nobody in my family ever stops talking. So, um, we have a really, and we've always had like a really loud house, even though there's only three of us. So that I'm like, kind of like, that is, I don't have any idea how to answer that question because we talk about every, like literally none of us stop talking. We're all always talking. (laughs) Do you, how does that, (laughs) I can't even imagine that. (laughs) Do you have to fight? Do you have to fight each other for the, um, for the floor? Like, how does that work? Three people that always talk. Sometimes I probably, yeah. I mean, I think my husband and I just default to our son for the most (laughs) part. Um, but yeah, he is, he's a constant talker. He, he always has been. And we, we joked when he was little that he was going to be a teenager that we never would really need to worry about what was happening in his life because we would know every little minute detail. And that, is completely true he's a teenager and we know everything do you think that you did anything to encourage that um I think probably yes and then probably some of it's just him and um probably some of it's just genetics and he's an extremely extroverted person he's I'm a major external processor so like anything that happens in my little head comes out 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's true about him as well. Um, and I do think that we have always been a very connected family. We've just always mm-hmm. been so fortunate to have a, like to have for our life to be set up in a way that allows us to be like really together and connected a lot. How do you, how do you know, how do you know you're connected? I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingoblecom slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. We spend a significant amount of time together. Mm-hmm. I think if I had to guess, maybe even more than the average family. Some of that's our life, our lifestyle. Like both my husband and I work from home, so we're always here. But even uh, my son. I think it's changed a little bit the last year as he's gone into high school, but if he, you know, had to choose between kind of like being by himself or hanging out alone in his room or doing something by himself in a different part of the house or being with one of us, he'd absolutely always choose like being with one of us. I mean, we just spend a ton of time together, (laughs) which is great most of the time. Yeah. That's so neat. I guess, you know, coming from a family where, we fought a lot in a what seemed like a normal way to me I can't imagine hanging out and not fighting well I have not I have not insinuated that we don't fight yeah (laughs) how does that how does that work like how do you fight and then not hate each other Ooh, well that's a million dollar question um Mm. because you know do you think for a lot of people that they feel the same like fighting fighting means we hate each other and now this relationship is over um and i you know i think the the aspects of our personality that contribute to the fact that we're a very loud house Mm -hmm. contributes to the fact that we maybe we maybe spend more time together than your average family but we may fight more than the average family Mm -hmm. too um, we just are emotional, intense people with strong feelings about lots of things. <laughs> they mm-hmm. sometimes collide. What does that look like? I mean, sometimes it looks like we're just, you know, kind of squawking at each other. Sometimes it mm-hmm. looks bigger than that. I will say probably because of my work and then probably somewhat because of for whatever reason, just some intuition. One thing I've always been really good at is repair. Um, Mm. And I'd say that's 
true in in all of my relationships that like when things aren't when things haven't gone right I'm pretty eager and willing mm. to say that that didn't go right and I'm sorry mm. let's figure this out together so we do a lot of all of those things we do a lot of connecting mm. a lot of fighting a lot of repairing <laughs> if you were to send um like a like a holiday card for 2020 and there was going to just be one picture on it, one photograph. What would yeah. the photograph be of your family? Yeah, I would. So that picture would be from the summer mm-hmm. and we'd be in the garden that and the chickens would be there and the corn and the tomato plants would be like higher than our heads. And we'd just be outside. That is definitely like the part of 2020 that stands out at me the most is definitely these outside summer experiences, you know, taking care of chickens for the first time, having this huge garden for the first time. Those, you know, those, those were the times in 2020 where we were the you know, most connected, most regulated, most joyful. If you could predict the future, like sort of dream it up, what what would you hope the picture would be for 2021? I, there are many aspects of 2020 that I would welcome again with 2021. And that's part of it. You know, I think um, all the neat stuff, the, the, the kind of forced quiet and forced like we're home so we're gonna do all these things you know together as a family and really kind of focus on that very much welcome again um it would be amazing if that could also include more social experiences if we could have people, you know, when we moved here, that was one of my hopes that like our house became a place Mm -hmm. that people came and enjoyed being. And that has obviously not really been able to happen in the last year. So that would be awesome if we could kind of open our doors back up again and, and people could come and be with us in the garden. (laughs) It's interesting because it sounds like, um, you know, when you talk like that, it sounds like you have so much time, but you, ah. seem, you seem super busy. To, I mean, your output is tremendous. Uh-huh. So how do you do that? How do you work so much, but do all these other things? Yeah. Uh, I, well, I am truly a really fast worker. So I think that mm-hmm. definitely contributes. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I put things out quickly. I just, I'm a fast worker. Um, but I also, think that never leaving the house cuts down on a lot of <laughs> things. I mean, and, 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 you know, really when I, when we moved away from Austin almost two years ago now, I remember joking, jokingly saying like, one of my goals is to never leave the house again <laughs> because I know, right. It's so funny now, mm-hmm. but because my, our life in Austin, which we were making a very active choice to get away from was too busy. It was too much mm-hmm. hustle. It was too much commute, you know, spent an outrageous amount of time in my car. And so really just not even not commuting to work has given me hours back. Mm. 
in my day. So that really has contributed. And the other piece that's true about my life that maybe a lot of people don't really know is that my husband does everything, like all the stuff that's kind of the typical quote unquote, like mom load for as like stereotypical as that is, I don't do physically. And I also don't carry that mental load. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about, uh, you know, making upcoming orthodontist appointments. I'm not thinking about taking the dog to the vet. I'm not thinking about who the oil needs to get changed in the car. I'm not paying bills. I don't pay, you know, I pay attention to none of that in my life. My husband does all of it. And so, and I, I think in a way that does, I, I wouldn't say we have a ton of free time, but uh, I am aware of the fact that we have a lot of opportunity to have, to have downtime um, mm. because of the way we kind of divide up those responsibilities. When I'm done working, I'm done working. I don't go and mm. start cooking dinner or mm-hmm. things like that. Like I'm, I'm done for the day. So, so you're living in a family where the roles have been like the traditional roles have been flipped and, and you're yes. the provider and, yes. and how does trust fit in with your, um, with you and silks? A lot mm-hmm. because yeah, I think my journey with doing silks has taught me a lot about trusting myself, mm-hmm. um, trusting Decisions. Should we say what silks are in case people don't know? Yeah. So why don't you, you, you describe what you see silks. Okay. As. So what I see is I see you doing a form of aerial yoga uh-huh. where you use um, like fabric silks that hang from the ceiling and yeah. you use the silks to get into sort of Cirque du Soleil poses in, in the air. Yeah. While you've sort of wrapped yourself up in a piece of dental floss. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. See, I knew you would do a great job with that. Um, I mean, I think I came to silks at a point in my life where I was capable of trying to trust. I think if I had done, I, I would have never even shown up at an aerial silk studio at any point prior in my life. Like I wouldn't have had the guts. Um And then without a doubt, that was sort of like my next step in my journey of, I really probably really trusting myself, um, trusting that I have the sensations in my body that tell me, yes, keep going or like no pause. And then, you know, trusting that I can find my way out of some pretty sticky situations and then also trusting that ultimately I have somebody there, you know, who can help me if I need to, but also, I mean, I mean, mostly in the air, you're mostly on your own and really needing, you know, to trust yourself with this sort of backup plan is like, well, the teacher is here and the pulleys are here. And I have had to be, you know, lowered down one on one occasion. I was just what like, was that? What was I that? can't get down. I was in the air and I was too far off the ground to like step down. And I had totally exhausted my body. Like I literally, I could not, I had no more muscle power to hold myself in the way that I needed to, to be able to like untie myself from the silks and therefore get down. So I was stuck. 
as stuck in the air. <laughs> and they really had to use their pulley system to gently. What was going through your mind? Was it like, I was like, I don't ever want to do this again? Or was it just like, oh, la, 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 I'm stuck? I think it was more embarrassed. Mm. I was em embarrassed and then also grateful that there was this backup plan and I could get down. I remember feeling pretty discombobulated. Like I remember mm. even afterwards feeling like I probably should pause for a little bit before driving home. I think that was largely because I had worked myself to such exhaustion that I, mean, I was so fatigued, which is why I didn't have any power left in my body to do what I needed mm -hmm. to do to get down. Yeah. I was pretty discombobulated. I really, you know, paused before driving, but I think that also those are necessary experiences, mm -hmm. right? Like we only find the edge of something when we blow past it. So did it make you feel like more like even more like an athlete that you could push yourself that hard? Mm. Or is it the opposite? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at first I was mostly embarrassed because mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit of a spectacle too, right? Like I'm in the middle of the gym and there's a lot of other people there and I'm just like, um, mm -hmm. I can't get down. Mm -hmm. So like the process of like using the system to get, you know, so I think I was mostly embarrassed for a while, but also, you know, that I think part of what draws me to the aerial gym is the culture of aerial gyms, which is a very much like come as you are, like we celebrate all parts of you, like all of you gets, gets to come here and you're supposed to make a ton of mistakes. That's how it works. Like who does aerial silks without making a ton of mistakes? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what were the, what were the beliefs that you had that made you embarrassed? Probably something along the lines of like, that person doesn't belong here. Mm -hmm. You know, if you need to be lower down from the mm -hmm. ceiling, this is not the place for you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, um, it's funny cause that's, I guess what you do with your work is you just make people feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. That's so neat yeah. that you, yep. you, you brought yourself to the very edge. That's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. Can you um, talk about pink? <laughs> oh goodness. I mean, my first reaction is no, <laughs> which is that's probably why, why you asked. <laughs> I'm like, like how we just said that at the same time. Um, yeah, it's funny because I do feel like I'm such an open book and there is something about the fact that I am like the biggest fangirl for pink that makes me feel a little bit sheepish. Like, I'm like, Ooh, people don't need to know that part about me, which is ridiculous because a lot of people do know that about me. <laughs> what does she mean to you? Wow. That is hard to, um, it's, it's embarrassing. I'm like that question. The fact that you even ask that question embarrasses me. <laughs> um, what does she mean to me? Pleasure and authenticity mm. and embodied presence. Mm. Um, I think 
that was what I experienced, whether that's, you know, an accurate perception of this persona or not, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. my experience being, uh, you know, having so much fun being in literally the front row of mm-hmm. a concert and watching the characters of this production, because there's so many of them, be so there with themselves and with each other and having such a bird's eye view into it like being able to like make eye contact with these people while they were doing what seemed to be like their most favorite thing in the whole wide world (laughs) and so I think being that close to that energy is pretty amazing and my guess is that's something I'm constantly trying to aim for in my own life, which Mm -hmm. is why I'm, I'm so pulled towards that energy. How do you, how do you, how do you negotiate like carrying that much energy, right? Like in your own system and then being in a, in a job that has constraints, like as a social worker, there's like, there's definitely a lot of boundaries Right. So how do you sort of do Robin and exist Mm -hmm. in those constraints at the same time? Well, I think that the, um, I actually think the more, the the tighter the boundaries, the more you can totally show up as Mm -hmm. yourself. Um, And I think that that truth has allowed me to do really close, connected, intimate, intense work with people because I do hold the boundaries really tightly. And I think that that's like, we can even look at the silks as an example of that, right? Like there are a lot of, there's a lot of structure and boundaries involved, obviously, in doing a sport like aerial silks, a ton of structure and boundaries involved, or you would die, like literally you would die. And it is those structure and boundaries then that allow for all of this, like, pure amazingness to happen. Like when you're so secure in the silks, that's when you can take a lot of risk. Right. So I think that feels true in my professional life that it is the boundaries and the structure that allow me to cultivate these relationships and take a lot of risk. Wow, that's so interesting. So even a pink concert has a lot of structures and boundaries, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. So she's performing, but there's all, she's on her stage. And yeah, that's so interesting because so many people associate um, the creative freedom with a lack of boundaries. Mm. Mm. Well, like in the, if we stay with the concert, like a lack of boundaries would be a scary safety risk. Yeah, I think that's right? called like the performers board. would get hurt. The, we, yeah. the, the, the audience would get hurt. The performers would get right. hurt physically, not to mention all the emotional safety that's required to like show up in front of an audience like that. That's so interesting. I love that, that there is that you can be your most yourself when you have clear structure and boundaries. I think we yes. started this talking about that, um, <laughs> but we were talking about how that your life is unstructured, like not as mm-hmm. it's this nice. And then when you started to talk about it, it actually looked pretty structured. Yeah. Right. And so there's this funny, like the paradox of 
in some ways being so structured that it doesn't even seem structured anymore. Well, we can take that back, I think, to what I'm assuming was the like post you were talking about, about Mm -hmm. offering up structure and, you know, routine and, and that it, it provides a ton of felt safety, Mm -hmm. right? And the more felt safety we have, the more capacity we have to show up and be our like true authentic selves. And I think what that looks like for different people really varies. Like my, like what structure looks like in my family versus what structure looks like in somebody else's family right. looks really different, especially because of the size of my family and the age of my son, right? Like that looks really different than my best friend who has four little children under age eight, right? right. Like the structure required to keep their house chugging along is wildly right. different than the structure that's required in my house, but yeah, you're right. We still have it. And it's inside then the safety of, of structure and, you know, that we can then fully show up, I think, as our, as ourselves. You know, that's interesting. Cause I was thinking that I think so many families, I mean, just in my experience, it's about like the family is together and truly the goal is survival. Uh-huh. And, and that when you talk about felt safety, it feels like someone like just puts a pin, a pin mm-hmm. in the fabric of the family and it just it helps bring everything into focus. How did you, how did you, the, the idea of felt safety, I mean, a lot of people, if, especially if they've had trauma beginnings, felt safety actually feels dangerous. Absolutely. Yes. But you... Can you describe a moment, just like what it's like to have felt safety, like just even sitting here now, like where, how do you know that you have it? I don't even know how to ask the questions yeah. because it's, I'm talking well, to a fish that's in a different tank of water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with both experiences, like not feeling safe and with the idea that feeling safe isn't safe, doesn't feel safe. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also at this point connected to what felt safety feels like in my body, which also means I know when it's not there, which isn't a given. It's not a given that people know the difference by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I really earned that with a lot of really, really hard work. If I went to this literal exact moment and said, how do I know I'm feeling safe? And the first thing I do is like notice the sensations in my own body, which include like a sense of settledness. Mm -hmm. I feel pretty grounded in this moment, like literally connected to my chair and to the earth. I feel a sense of being connected to you. What, What are you committed to? The first word that comes to mind was curiosity which is kind of fun to notice mm. that that was the first mm. word mm. that came to mind. Yeah. To being curious to just mm. going and then what, and then what, well, okay. Mm. And then what, like everything's just data. Everything's just information. And I think that's what makes you so fun to talk to you because it's not, it's not like I'm talking to this source of judgment. Mm-hmm. It's like your curiosity makes it fun and safe. And a game, yeah. it's all like, yeah, like, yeah, fun. 
I mean, neurobiologically, like curiosity and, and judgment and like true judgment, like a critical kind of a judgment, yeah. not, they're just, they're not compatible. They can't hmm. really coexist, which, you know, cl- and I, I remember attempting to explain some of that to clients because of course, when you're in the vulnerable chair in the therapist's office, there's so much worry about like, am I being judged? Am I being judged? Like, what is this person really thinking about me? Mm-hmm. And I think one of my great, one of the great benefits of, of being a therapist in therapy mm-hmm. is that I could really touch into the truth that, you know, when I'm, when I am my, at my best self as a therapist, which is without a doubt, not even close to hundred percent of the time, you know, I'm mm-hmm. just human showing up at work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and I'm really in my like good therapist groove, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm really present, I'm really connected and I'm just really curious there. Like the, it, it, there's literally no space for judgment. Like the two aren't possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that truth, like the embodied truth of that, I think provided me a lot of felt safety in my own therapy because I believed that about her. Like I believed she was a really, really good, talented therapist. And I believed she was there with me and therefore like judgment really wasn't even possible. Wow. I think I would like to end on that note because that's something I want to carry around. What you just described is, it sounds like a really nice way to live a life right? To, Mm -hmm. to have that sense of curiosity and safety. And um, well, I mean, what a loving way to, because then you can even argue with people, but if you're curious and you have a sense of felt safety, we get back to your family and how you could be so exuberant and fighting at the same time. But that's just, I mean, the chickens do that too, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not a free for all. We have a lot of boundaries and hold, you know, really high expectations. And within that, there's a lot of room for messiness. You have high (laughs) expectations of yourself, don't you? Yeah. I have a high expectation of myself in a a lot of ways, including like how I, how I show up for other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I appreciate it. But what is so fascinating, I think, about that is, is I probably because of being a therapist, I know that how I show up for people is very much dependent upon how I show up for myself. Mm-hmm. And that has really kind of held my feet to the fire because I wanted to be a really, really good therapist and I want to be a really good mom and a really good partner. And that meant I just wasn't allowed to leave, like let myself off the hook for doing the work required to figure out how to show up for myself too. Well, thank you for getting up early and for, you know, having this, I called and said, Hey, I had this idea. And you said, I could interview you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was my idea. How'd you come to it so quickly? <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. And there you have it. Thanks for being a part of my community, for allowing me to show up vulnerably so I can just show up for you. If you're new here to this podcast, this episode is pretty different than the others. So be sure to check out my previous episodes and add parenting after trauma to your favorite podcast player. You can read over 40 different blog articles at robingobel.com slash blog. 
download free resources, including video resources and a 10 page letter to the teacher on trauma informed behavior management at robingobel.com slash free resources. As of February 16th, my comprehensive online self-paced parenting course, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain, is once again open for registration. This course has three core components. One, the neurobiology of being human and the impact of trauma. Two, increasing regulation for parents. And three, tracking our kids' level of arousal and adjusting our parenting interventions and approach based on our child's level of arousal. This course will take you past learning and into implementing because in addition to over six hours of video and audio content, you'll receive over 50 worksheets that are specifically designed to encourage your brain to integrate the material and then increase your capacity to actually implement what you're learning. I've had families describe it as the best, most practical course on parenting kids impacted by trauma while also staying true to my commitment to making the neurosciences as relatable and easy to understand as I can. If you head over to robingobel.com slash parent course, you could read all the details and register for immediate access. If you are loving this podcast, please share. The sooner the whole world understands the neurobiology of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are completely amazing and sometimes, or maybe even a lot of the times, really struggling. Thanks for tuning in today. I'll see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. 
Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.